Welcome to Paradigms on WBKM. This is episode number 155, Sunday, October 6th, 2013. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Paradigms. My name is Baruch, I'm your host. My guest tonight is Dr. Helen Caldicott. Dr. Caldicott is a pediatrician. She is the founder of Physicians for Social Responsibility. And really, she has been the most consistent and vibrant and powerful voice of the anti-nuclear weapons and anti-nuclear power movement for decades. Dr. Caldicott is here tonight to talk with us about Fukushima. Lots of great music as usual. I hope you're comfortable and ready to go on an interesting journey. Here's the first part of our conversation. Dr. Helen Caldicott, welcome back to Paradigms. Thank you. So we're not seeing a whole lot about this in the mainstream media, but we've got to talk about Fukushima. Can you explain what's going on so people understand? Look, it's really complex. The whole thing's terribly complex. First, they built the Fukushima reactors, six of them, on a river bed. They diverted a river, but the river still is flowing, and it's flowing underneath the reactors. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there are three meltdowns of each 100 tonnes of molten uranium fuel, which is incredibly radioactive, and it seems like one or several have melted their way through the containment vessel into the earth. And so the water coming down from the mountain is flooding over them and becoming extremely radioactive. TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company, has admitted that every day since the accident happened two and a half years ago, uh, radioactive water at the rate of about 400 tonnes a day has been flowing into the Pacific. TEPCO wanted to stop the water going to the ocean, so they built a dam on the ocean side of the reactors, but that just dammed the water up and 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 the water overflowed. And But what it's also done is sort of turn the ground on which the reactors are built into a sort of liquefied mud. Therefore, the foundations of the reactors, um, one to six, are very weak. And if there's another earthquake, which there will be, one or more of those buildings could collapse. So if a building collapses on top of its molten core, God knows what will happen, but uh, there could be more hydrogen explosions and the core could burn, exposed to the atmosphere, because they're pouring in hundreds of tonnes of water a day onto the cores to keep them cool, and then that water is mixing with the mountain water, which is also radioactive, as I've described. They're pumping out about 400 tonnes a day of water from beneath the reactors and storing it in huge tanks. There are over 1,000 tanks, 1,060. The tanks, though, have been put together very quickly. There's no guarantee they'll last. Their seals are made of rubber and the joints and, and bolts are corroding. And they may last not more than five years. So we've got all these tanks covering a site. And if there is an earthquake, the tanks will probably collapse. And all that water, 360,000 tonnes of water, will flow into the Pacific. But the point is, even if that flows into the Pacific, the flow of water underneath the reactors, which continues, 
will not cease. So it will keep going and going and going for the rest of time. So that's number one, polluting the Pacific and the fish. Number two is building number four is very weakened by the earthquake structurally. They had removed the fresh fuel from the reactor core some days before the earthquake occurred. So that fuel pool is on top of the building in a sort of what they call a swimming pool, but and and there are over, well, they say I think about 200 tons of extremely hot radioactive fuel in that pool, continually being kept cool by pumps pumping water into it. Now, they need to remove those fuel rods from the pool because if there's another earthquake, building four would go down probably, and the all those fuel rods would be exposed to the air and they would burn and they would release 10 times more radiation or cesium than was released at Chernobyl. Huge amounts and pollute much of Japan and the Northern Hemisphere. So we're in a nuclear crisis at the moment. So they've put a crane on top of that building, which is shaky anyway. And they're going to lift the fuel assemblies out one by one with the crane and it will be done manually. Normally, those rods are removed by computer control with millimetres to spare. It's a very delicate operation because if several rods touch each other, you could reach criticality and the whole fuel pool could go critical. Or if the rods break as they're being lifted out, large amounts of radiation would escape from the rods and the area would have to be evacuated meaning that the area is evacuated, the continuous operation of cooling five spent fuel pools and three melted cores would stop. Need I go on? So there are like umpteen variables, any number of which could lead to complete horrific disaster. Yep. Okay, so, okay. That's the first part of my conversation with Dr. Helen Caldicott founder of Physicians for Social Responsibility. And now, you know, we understand what's going on at Fukushima. We'll be back with more of that conversation after this song by John Hall. Took us to the brink 
So that's John Hall, formerly of the band Orleans, formerly a congressman from New York State, part of Musicians United for Safe Energy. Great song, very timely. Here's the second part of my conversation with Dr. Helen Caldicott. You're listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. So let me ask you this. What is possible... Let's just imagine, best-case scenario, TEPCO stops obfuscating, stops preventing access. What is possible with our current knowledge to do to address all this if we were to bring the resources of the world to bear? Mm, Good question. Well, the one who is most interesting about this is Arnie Gunderson. He is a nuclear engineer with 40 years' experience. He thinks that they should bring Bechtel in. Now, Bechtel is a huge engineering company. It builds nuclear reactors and weapons and all sorts of things, and I don't like it, but it has enormous experience with nuclear engineering. TEPCO is not an engineering company. It's an operator, meaning it it flicks switches and turns knobs, that's all. So they're dealing with this. They have no idea how to deal with it, and that's very obvious. Arnie said that if you build a wall about three metres thick of zeolite on the mountain side of the reactor and then divert the mountain water by a series of pipes and reservoirs, I don't know, round the reactor into the sea and the water would then be clean and the zeolite would stop cesium and other such isotopes infiltrating into the mountain water. So you'd separate both masses of water. That sounds smart. Yeah, and and the water would stop flowing under the reactors. And he said that he thinks that they should, like Chernobyl, just cover those molten cores with concrete. But but it wouldn't take the radiation away. In a hundred years, it would still be radioactive. Not so radioactive, but still very radioactive. What do our descendants do with this mess? Now, I, I, I mean, that's one solution, but it seems a little far-fetched. Without that, I don't know what, what anyone can do. I don't, I don't think there is a solution. As Dr. Um, Micho Kaku, who is a brilliant physicist who developed a string theory, he's in New York, he said that, you know, this is an unmitigated disaster and, and could mean the end of you know, many people's lives and much of the ecosphere. Now, at Chernobyl, they've been rebuilding those cement sarcophagi repeatedly, year after year. They just keep adding more cement, right? Well, no, they've, they've built a, a, a structure that will go over the sarcophagus. 
okay. and prevent radiation leaking out. But the truth is that the sarcophagus is fragile and it could collapse, invoking another major release of radiation from Chernobyl. So how do you sleep at night? I sleep at night by doing this work. If I don't do this work, I get so depressed. I'm psychologically <laughs> unstable. <laughs> I have a, a sense, which is probably totally egocentric, that if I continue with my educational efforts through Twitter and Facebook and writing articles and going on programs and educating people, that, that we can rise up and, and do something about this. It's kind of practicing global preventive medicine. I took the Hippocratic Oath. I'm a pediatrician. All the world's children are potentially my patients. Cystic fibrosis is my specialty, commonest fatal genetic disease of childhood. And the dictum in medicine says if you have an incurable disease, the only recourse is prevention. We can't cure most cancers and we must prevent them. Yet this industry, which stems from the nuclear weapons industry, is going to produce millions of cases of cancer, not just in this generation, but over time for all future generations because of the radioactive waste. I mean, these people are criminals, I have to say, long-term murderers, because they knew right at the start of the Manhattan Project that radiation caused cancer. From Madame Curie, from the old radiologists, you know, there was a, a literature already on this in, in the early 40s, yet they continued with this, terrible process of splitting the atom. It was Einstein who said the splitting of the atom changed everything, all reality, save man's mode of thinking, and I stress man, thus we drift towards unparalleled catastrophe. So here we are. My thing is I'm always railing about sociopaths in government, sociopaths in science and in business. And I agree, because sociopaths, one in 25, I think, are sociopaths. So I've got a book called The Sociopath Next Door, and they are brilliant, charming, erudite, sexy, and they have no moral conscience. And they have a neurotic drive and they rise to the top like cream in all the organizations you just mentioned, and in academia too, actually. Look at the United States government right now today. Mm. Today is October 1st that we're talking. Yep. We have no government operating, although we do have a, a Congress that is still being paid handsomely. Yeah, well, they wouldn't cut their own salaries, would they? Mm. And it's all about mm -hmm. racism, let's be frank. I mean, you know, these white males can't stand a black man in the White House, let alone a black woman and two black children. I mean, they don't talk about it, but, but clearly it is racist. Oh, yeah. Well, the irony of that is, you know, that there are lots of things about the Obama presidency that I think are just awful. Do, and sure. they're focused on his race, which is irrelevant. Who cares? I'm more concerned about the drones oh, and yeah. funding the nuclear industry Terrible. and the GMOs yep. and, you know. Terrible. Anyway, my goodness. If any of this is striking a chord with you, even if we are mostly governed by sociopaths, as Helen and I were discussing, it's still worth it to make your government know that you want them to get on this thing about Fukushima as soon as possible. We don't really have a lot of time before this thing is going to get much worse and it's already very bad as you've been learning. Here's a song by Paul Rogers.
live in Glasgow, radioactive. Here is the next part of my conversation with Dr. Helen Caldicott, founder of Physicians for Social Responsibility, talking about what's going on with Fukushima in Japan and the issue of nuclear weapons and nuclear power in general and how we can respond in a proactive, creative, and hopefully useful way. You know, on this show, I'm always trying to find the upside and the what's working part and, you know, paradigms, right? What, how can, what are other ways we can look at things? And when we talk about something like Fukushima, that's really hard to find. It is. I always go back to what President Jefferson said, an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. 
I've written some books about nuclear power and the dangers therein medically for the layperson. Um, if you go to my webpage, helencullicott.com, you can download them or you can order them from Amazon, number one. Number two, because knowledge gives you power and knowledge gives you the ability to debate with Obama on television and beat him because you will know more than him. Um, number two, if you go to my webpage, helencullicottfoundation.org, I held a symposium in New York in March called The Medical and Ecological Consequences of Fukushima, two days of presentations by the world's leading scientists related to this terrible accident, oceanographers and evolutionary biologists and physicists, physicians and the like. You can listen to that if you go to helencaldicottfoundation.org. You can listen to the whole thing online. And there are so many articles related to all things nuclear. Educate yourselves. And as you educate yourself, you'll go through the stages of grief. And like, you know, you've been told you've got cancer. The first is shock and disbelief, my God. The second one is depression. Allow yourself to feel the depression and walk through the stages of grief. The next one is anger. And anger can be focused in a white-hot direction to fix things. I think once you find out the facts, you with your special personality and intellect, and I'm speaking to each of you who is listening, will be able to know what you're going to do. No one's ever told me what to do. I've always known as a doctor. I, I've always known what I must do in this area. That's exactly what people need to learn and be empowered and then... Yeah prevail and to go back to Fukushima right now and to prevail upon our governments everyone this is the one time when I think we should invade a country prevail on our governments to create an international coalition that absolutely insists to Japan they can do it to bomb people I know. so why can't they make an international coalition to go in and they do can this do it to kill people well, one of the reasons they're not doing it is Obama's totally pro-nuclear. He doesn't understand it. I mean, if I had half an hour with Obama talking to him about his his little girls who he adores and the particular dangers to children of radiation, they're about 20 times more sensitive than adults, I could teach him and convince him. But he was funded to a large degree by Exelon, which has 13 reactors around Chicago, and he doesn't understand. And he's protecting the nuclear industry, which is allied with the weapons industry. Right. The nuclear industry grew from the weapons industry. And it's an extraordinarily powerful organization or, or however you would describe it. Um, but one person can be as powerful as the most powerful person who ever lived. And the truth is I founded Physicians for Social Responsibility. I recruited, with the help of others, 23,000 doctors to educate the American people about the medical consequences of nuclear war. And we kind of led a revolution. Um, when I first started in 78, most people said to me, it's better to be dead than red. And I thought, this is psychotic. <laughs> so <laughs> we started describing the medical consequences of nuclear war. And I was on television a lot talking about it. In five years, 80% of Americans opposed the concept of nuclear war. That was the second American revolution. And it was peaceful. Uh, sagacious and Gandhian. And I was an alien. I was a woman. I was a young doctor. But I did it. And so anyone can be John or Joan of Arc if they decide. 
And it, it won't happen through your computers and Facebooking and stuff. You've got to get out there with your body and do it. And the media is determining the fate of the earth because they're keeping people ignorant. I remember when you first came on the scene and I was a protester at a nuclear plants and you rocked it. Mm. You brought the message to the world. And, and then it got co-opted somehow. The stuff that they talk about now, I, I've talked with young people who have been taught that radiation's good for you. They're teaching that at schools and the industry, nuclear industry gets into the schools, the primary schools and secondary schools. Unbelievable. How can you let long-term murderers talk to our children? Someone said to me the other day, you know, in Germany, the children say what, or grandchildren are, but daddy or grandfather, what did you do during the war? Did you help transport six million Jews to the gas ovens? And someone said, you know, kids are going to be saying, but daddy, what did you do with this nuclear industry or nuclear weapons? And everybody should know that at the moment, America and Russia each have over a thousand hydrogen bombs targeted on each other. About 40 H-bombs targeted on New York as I speak maybe 60 on Washington, and it could happen tonight by accident, computer error, people hacking into the early warning system, or a situation like 9-11 when no one knew what was going on and America automatically moved to the highest stage of nuclear alert just before they pressed the button. And people don't know that now and they think the bombs have all gone away. But And we handed this to Clinton on a silver platter. We said... Clinton, 80% of people in America support the concept of, of no nuclear war and weapons. He could have got in Air Force One, flown to see Yeltsin, who is a hardened alcoholic but totally compliant, and said, Boris, sign here. We're going to abolish our nuclear arsenals. And of the about 20,000 H-bombs in the world today, Russia and America own 94, 97% of them. Yet they have the gall to talk about Iran, which has none, uh, you know, see not the moat in the other person's eye, look instead for the moat in your own eye. Yes, yes. This is a Jackson Brown song called The Crow on the Cradle, and this is from the No Nukes concerts that were recorded way back in the 70s. Yes, we have been working on this issue, many people around the world, for a long time. The Crow on the Cradle.
Jackson Brown, The Crow on the Cradle. Now we're going to hear a song by a Japanese artist called Mr. Children. The song is about Fukushima. It's called In the Field. And after we hear it, I will read you the English translation. Mr. Children.
Counting Song by Mr. Children. This is a counting song. Well then, what shall we count? Nothing comes out of the deep darkness. There's one, now two, and count just one more. My heart has been searching for your song. If we were to compare it, well, what would we compare it to? When you're so sad you can't even speak, there's one, now two, and one more thing you forget, and you're starting again from the beginning. A song of hope. Can we laugh? I think we can. But you don't have to if it's hard. There's one person, now two people, then one more is drawn in. Someday I want us all to sing together, a song of smiles. We're more fragile, smaller and weaker than we imagined. But like rice stalks blowing in the wind, we're also soft, sturdy, and strong. Believe it, this is a counting song. Well then, what shall we count? From the dark frozen sea, there's one, now two, and count just one more. This is the song of hope you've been searching for. There's one, now two, and then another begins to flicker like a lamp flame, an inextinguishable song of hope. In the Field by Mr. Children Translation by Heidi White You can find this live performance of this beautiful song on YouTube just by looking for Mr. Children in the Field. And now the fourth and final installment of my conversation with Dr. Helen Caldicott. The people who are running the world, as it were, are those very craven sociopaths, and they it, it seems more and more true and easy to accept that there is, in fact, a small group of people making a lot of very big and very bad decisions. Yeah, so therefore, why aren't we using our democracy? In Australia, voting is compulsory. Why isn't voting compulsory in your country? We get fined if we don't vote, number one. So they don't want them to vote here. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but you can all rise up and demand that happens. You know, using a democracy, I mean, it's a privilege to live in a democracy. Yeah. People are dying all over the world to have themselves a democracy. You've got one, but that means using it. That means taking over your Congress. You own it. You own it. You own the state houses. You own the politicians. They are your representatives. They are not your leaders. You are their leaders. You need to make sure you see them every week when they come home to their district and educate them, teach them, and say, if you don't do this, I will make sure you don't get elected next time by going around and door knocking. I mean, there are so many things we can do. And people are, I think, ignorant and they're lazy and complacent. But if they really love their children... Really, it doesn't matter if you get your children to clean your teeth, their teeth, or have a good education if they have no future. And I haven't even mentioned global warming. Well, here's the thing. In the United States, the majority of the people are eating toxic food. They're drinking toxic water. They're breathing poisoned air. They're watching television, which both uh, neurologically and the content of which is designed to dumb you down. Brainwashing. The kid, yes, Brainwashing. the kids are going to schools that are uh, whose curriculum is designed to teach them not to think critically. So the American society has in fact been taken over by a, a right-wing fundamentalist capitalist. Corporate. Yeah, it's like some but evil listen, thing. Listen, yeah, that 
they're a small minority of people and you've got the majority on your side. Think of the French Revolution, and I'm not talking about guillotines now, um, but, you know, maybe these people should be put in jail for sure. Mm, um, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm right you, with you. You've got to rise up and, and take over. You can't, and you can't complain and you can't use the aorta syndrome. Now, the aorta is the main vessel coming out of the heart, but it's aorta fix the problem, aorta fix the bridges, aorta do this. <laughs> no, I will. I mm-hmm. will. And if you really love your children and you want them to have a future, you'll do this. But if you don't care, and they'll die of heat stroke or, or cardiac arrest uh, because it's going to get so hot or burnt in bushfires or whatever, you won't do it. Can you look your children and grandchildren in the eye and say, I love you and I'm doing this to make sure you have a future? Well, I applaud your words. And I hope everyone who's listening will really take this to heart and do something not just something, you've got to change the priorities of your life if you love this planet. You've got to change the priorities of your life. Nothing else matters except that we maintain life on this incredibly beautiful planet, which is probably the only life in the universe. I mean, imagine that. It's a spiritual quest to save life on this planet, which is so extraordinary. I'm watching right now a sea eagle flying outside my window with a wingspan of about five feet. That's where the healing is, is, is by being in nature and, and knowing that you're part of it. And when you know right. you're part of it, then you would do anything to save it. Like saving your own life. Mm. Which, in fact, it, it really is. We are all connected. We are all, it's one life, this planet. It's like one living, breathing pulsing life and we're part of that it's great to talk with you and i i I wish we had a solution but well we do have a solution it's up to us it's in every heart and soul that's the solution if you don't take this seriously you are practicing passive suicide all right well thank you (laughs) my pleasure (laughs) (laughs) you told me and you're absolutely right well, I'm tough. You know, I've got a lot of patients to stop smoking. They hate me, but they stop smoking. Good for you. Well, I, you know, good, yeah. You know, we're all here to do our, do our service, yep. do what we can. Yep. So, Do everything. Right. Okay, thank you very much. You take good care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Helen Caldicott, founder of Physicians for Social Responsibility. I hope you'll check out her websites. There are links at paradigms.bz the Helen Caldicott Foundation.org or HelenCaldicott.com. Check them out, listen to the information, but most of all, contact the politicians. This is a time-sensitive issue, and the truth is, our survival depends on this. This is the horrible nuclear accident that people have been fearing for decades. It's happened, and it's happening every minute. Thanks to Dr. Caldicott for coming on the show and for all the great work that she's doing. Here's a song, a real oldie, but it says it like it is.
catch the Doobie Brothers taking it to the streets from the No Nukes concerts back in the 70s. And it really, you know, it works to take it to the streets. A lot of us took it to the streets and it had some impact back then. And maybe we need to take it to the streets again and say, we got to stop this now and we got to deal with Fukushima now. So something to think about. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Dr. Caldecott and that you've taken to heart what she's saying. You know, her big message is if you love your children and who doesn't love the children, the next generation, then we must do something. We don't have the luxury of not doing something. I hope you'll check out our archived episodes that are all as meaningful as this one. You can find them at paradigms.bz and you can also find them in iTunes. They're all free, of course. Next week, The show will be on a completely different topic, but of course the same theme, which is visions of a viable future for life on Earth that includes humans. My guest will be Karin McKay, who's just written an amazing cookbook called Culinary Magic. You definitely are going to want to hear what Karin has to say about food and community and permaculture. So I hope you'll be back next week. This is Baruch saying from Paradigms and WBKM, Have a great week. I'm going to leave you with a Michael Franti and Spearhead song called Bomb the World. Who would listen? How many songs it takes for you to see? You can bomb the world to pieces, you can't bomb.
been listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org.